We're seeing plenty of unrest in China, uh, obviously, um, I guess, over the course of the global pandemic. They've had an incredibly difficult time um, instead of uh, mass vaccination and, and what we've seen the rest of the world go through. Um, China has adopted a zero covid policy. Uh, and if there is any sort of detection at all, literally apartment blocks and such are closed down. Uh, people are not allowed to come and go. And now that is uh, in many ways having uh, effects on not only the people of China, but also the industry of China as um, they just do not seem to be getting a grip on uh, COVID-19 or the reaction of people. Beijing and Shanghai have seen protests. Uh, we've seen the blank uh, sheets of paper. We'll talk about that, too. Is this a turn point or is it just a matter of time before she crushes this as well? Let's bring in Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, and with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Oh, thank you. Same to you, Scott. How significant is this? We're seeing people uh, say that she should step down, citizens of China and such. Obviously, uh, lots of protesting going on. Is this going to run its course, or is how significant is this? I think the significance uh, lies not in whether it succeeds in overthrowing the government, which is not likely, but uh, a rather different area altogether. What these protests do, I think, is not threaten the power of the party or the party state, but I do think it threatens its legitimacy. Until now, this uh, Communist Party, particularly under Xi Jinping, but he was building on the on his uh, predecessors, particularly Deng Xiaoping's success in bringing a lot of economic prosperity to China, and as he says, with the national great national rejuvenation. China is back. We've had a century of, hum- of humiliation. Now we're back, and thanks uh, the party for that. And you should be you should be thankful. What they fear the most is a color revolution. That is, and that was uh, you and I talked about it at the time. That was actually written in in February to the joint statement with Mr. Putin and Xi Jinping meeting. No color revolutions. That means popular uprising, people's uprising of. Uh, so that the regime would feel threatened. They have great capacity to put down dissent. This is a surveillance state. It's got uh, almost unlimited resources, not only for all those surveillance cameras and and, uh, the most advanced technology for facial recognition, but just putting people in the streets to put down protest. But if you put it down, that does not mean you have succeeded. It wasn't that long ago, Elliot, you and I were talking about how she wanted to be installed for life, and that's what he was working towards. My, what has changed in a short period of time? Yes. um, Although we're talking about China, and I'm an Asianist, there's something almost Greek about this, you know, hubris uh, first, and then hubris preceding the fall. He is now master of his everything that he surveys. He's got the 20th Party Congress behind him and all his people in place. And not shortly, not long after that, you have these protests. These protests are, um, I think, likely not to continue. They've, the capacity of the state to put them down is very high. So they're, what's happening right now in a nutshell, is, Scott, is that they're clamping down. The state is clamping down on protests while simultaneously backing off on some of the lockdown measures, which mm. is leading to the widespread protest. But then the protests have now gone from uh, primarily saying we're tired of the lockdowns and your, your draconian measures, but we're also tired of you.
Uh, we often talk about China, the next superpower, if not already. How can the world view them uh, as that when, you know, let's go back to the beginning of COVID-19 and failure to uh, keep the food chain free of contamination, then uh, lack of vaccine or proper vaccine or certainly the new mRNA vaccines and, and a zero tolerance policy. How does the world look at this when most of the world has moved on, yet China is still struggling? Yes, um, there's multiple issues there. The stability and fragility of the regime really is what we're talking about. Internationally, China's reputation has plummeted. We know that, and Canada has played a role in that because we were suffering because of the two Michael situation. But basically, China has come increasingly into focus around the world under Xi Jinping's wolf warrior diplomacy and his aggressiveness. How he has chosen to demonstrate they're a superpower internationally is uh, coming into focus and, and not in a positive way. But now domestically as well, what kind of what kind of great government are they are they providing here? I've suggested all along that although he's talked about this being a Marxist-Leninist regime with Chinese characteristics, it's really a Confucian regime with Leninist characteristics or Stalinist characteristics. You know, the great emperor presiding in a benevolent fashion over the people who will adore him and uh, let him rule forever. But that has a built-in fail-safe as well. If you assume the mandate of heaven, you have to perform and deliver. The key thing here, I think, to watch for is that the social contract, Scott, between the Communist Party and the people of China has been essentially, in a nutshell, prosperity for their silence. Now, with the COVID uh, restrictions and the fact that the uh, behavior toward the Uyghurs is attracting attention in the Han Chinese part, the, the, the cooperation across ethnic lines over the, in this protest is very striking indeed. So the is is the social contract under threat now? We political scientists have been saying all along, and this has also been state policy. You know, once there's a middle class, Scott, they're going to, they're, they're going to demand democracy and freedom, and that was mm. implicit in letting the um, letting the Chinese join the global economy and and uh, all of its the IMF and others in particular the, <laughs> and get general agreement to talk and talk and all of its successors. Now we're seeing the result that China is indeed an economic superpower, and this is how they're behaving. So there is a certain fragility being demonstrated, but Xi Jinping is in no imminent problems in terms of being overthrown, but the legitimacy of his entire uh, uh, activities is the enterprise of Xi Jinping, I think, is now being brought into question in terms of its legitimacy. On that note, is is China losing an opportunity here? I mean, it wasn't that long ago. China was the golden goose. Everybody wanted to be a part of this. Now it's their public enemy. Um, are they losing an opportunity here? Does the Chinese citizenry uh, realize the wrong hand may be being played here? We'll have to see what the Chinese citizenry uh, knows, understands, and, and uh, reacts against, keeping in mind yeah. the great firewall of China has really kind of extraordinarily in our modern age controlled the flow of information in and out of China and inside China in a way you couldn't think possible. 
one of the impacts of what we're seeing in front of us right now is the overflow, <laughs> the, the capacity to control information with this widespread protest. And I think that's one of the key features we should remind ourselves that's gone from Urumqi, the capital of Xinjiang, but all across the country. Uh, the fact that it's that widespread has really overwhelmed the censors, at least initially. But the capacity for the censors to plunge back in is there. The state can still clamp down. Protests are already waning. But that doesn't mean that the impact is over. Quite a contrast controlling uh, the information, all while citizens hold up a blank piece of uh, white paper. Yeah. Elliot Tepper with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, on what is happening in China and uh, Xi Jinping's uh, loss of control or the need to clamp down even further. We'll see. Elliot, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you. Same to you, Scott. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.